they got older in life, decided that they would write down some reminiscences of their lives as, as preachers. And they talked about some of the episodes that had happened in their life and so forth. Perhaps you have also knowledge of some of the men who have done that sort of thing. It's typically quite interesting to read what they have had to say. They usually tell some humorous things that happened along the way, but also get involved with some serious reflections about life and what's really most important in life. So preachers writing about their their lives and their preaching work and so forth. Now, I'm not inclined to do that at all. I don't imagine anybody would be interested in reading what I had to say. But if I did, and I'm not going to, but if I did, I know that I, I know a couple chapters that I would have in, in a book of reminiscences over years of preaching. One of them would be to try and catalog some of the silly excuses I've heard through the years that people have offered for why they don't attend worship services or do some of the other things that Christians are expected to do. Uh, I, I wish, I actually do wish that years ago I had started keeping a log of some of the crazy things that people offered that they imagined actually justified them but were nothing more than silly excuses for why they were doing or failing to do the things that they should. So I'd have a chapter on silly excuses, but I'd also have a chapter on things that people have asked me to preach about through the years. Requested sermons, for instance. And I think some of those would actually also be fairly humorous. Some of the ideas, some of the suggestions that people have given me uh, were actually pretty good. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I tried to do that. You know, if someone offers a legitimate request, I'd like to hear a lesson on this or that Bible subject. I, I almost always will try to comply with that and, and preach the sermon that has been requested. But sometimes the suggestions that people have offered for sermons are not so good. And I've not been able to follow through and actually preach a sermon along those lines. For instance, maybe someone will ask for a sermon on something that's way too specific. You know, the Bible maybe only references it one time and all the information that's available on the whole subject is one Bible verse. How are you going to build a whole sermon uh, on that topic? You, you just can't do it. Uh, there's just not enough information. Or maybe sometimes people will request a sermon on something that's purely speculative, you know. Maybe we might think that this is what happened, you know, maybe some episode in the life of Jesus, for instance. And we might speculate that this is the way that it actually happened, but we don't know for sure. And definitely you can't preach a sermon on things that are pure speculation. Or uh, an, another thing that has happened through the years, people have asked me to preach about situations, specific situations, for instance, maybe in their own family life. I had a fellow once who came to me complaining that his wife was a horrible housekeeper and wanted me to preach a sermon about that. I, you know, I, I just don't think that's probably the way to handle that problem, you know. Uh, another man came to me with a more intimate problem with his wife and wanted me to preach about that. And I don't think that that's the sort of thing that you preach about from the pulpit either. I'm just saying that some things probably are, are, can't be addressed from the pulpit. They're not the kind of things that preaching can deal with. I've said all of that to simply say there are some things that preaching can't do. And I want to spend a few minutes this morning talking with you about things that preaching can't do, and although people might hope or wish that the preacher would address it in, a, in that sort of a way. There's some things that lessons from the pulpit just are not going to be able to accomplish, and we want to talk about that for a few minutes this morning. We thank everybody for being present. We're glad that you've come. 
And we always look forward to these times together. It's a blessing to live in a place like we live, where we have the freedom to come together, to assemble, to worship. Did you have any fear this morning when you drove over here that maybe there would be armed guards trying to keep you from coming in? Or that someone might come in during our assembly and trouble us or bother us or try to persecute us? You didn't, you didn't worry about that, did you? It was completely foreign to your thinking. And that's a good thing. We, we are blessed to be in a place where we don't have to worry about such as that. It's not true everywhere. And there are Christians meeting even on this Lord's Day in places in this world where they do not have the freedom that we enjoy. We should pray for them, but we should certainly be grateful for our own situation. All right. Uh, and by the way, also to all who are visiting, thanks for coming. We hope you'll come back every time you can. Let's talk about some things that preaching cannot do. The first thing I want to stress is that I am absolutely convinced of the importance of preaching. Preaching is an important part of God's plan. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I think this really has to be stressed. There are some people who would really demean the work of preaching the gospel. But God clearly has put preaching in a significant, essential place. It's a part of His plan for the salvation of men that the message of Christ be proclaimed. In Romans 10, where Joel read for us earlier from verses 13 and 14, notice, "...whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." How shall they call on him and whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Again, stressing the importance of the proclamation of the word. I would want to point out here that this is not talking exclusively about preaching from a pulpit like this. And it's not exclusively talking about the, the work of someone that we might identify as a full-time preacher. That's sort of our terminology. This just is talking about the work of sharing, teaching, and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. That message of telling the message is an important part of the plan that God has put in place for the salvation of mankind. And so while we're going to spend our time this morning talking about what preaching can't do, let's point out that preaching is important, and we're not trying to, to discount that at all. But preaching can't do some things. For instance, preaching can't always be popular. There have been instances where people have warned us, you know, that we have to be careful teaching about certain topics because if we deal with certain issues, uh, it's going to drive people away, you know. If, if we stress this or that from the Word of God, people just won't want to hear it and they, and, and they won't come back. We'll, we'll turn people away if we do that. The idea, of course, the implication is that preaching should always be positive, and that which is pleasing to hear. And of course, that's the trend generally in the religious world. The TV preachers, for instance, they're not going to preach on hard things because they're very much dependent upon people liking them and sending them money in order for them to continue doing what they're doing. Think of one of the most popular ones in these days, Joel Olstein. I don't know if you've listened to Joel Olstein on TV, but he is exclusively positive and never deals with anything that's hard or controversial. And some people think that's the way it ought to be. But that's not the kind of preaching that God commands. Preaching can't always be popular. Remember what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, beginning verse 2? Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. In this familiar text, we use it very often, you're familiar with it, but the, the expression in season and out of season would definitely talk about times when the preaching is well accepted, when it's popular, but also Paul told Timothy, you preach it when it's not popular and when people don't want to receive it. You preach the Word, you do it in season, out of season. Then, of course, there's this familiar part of the passage that talks about men will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned to fables. I like the way the New American Standard Version has that last part of the passage. Wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Well, that happens, doesn't it? Because people are determined that preaching should be popular, it should be easy to hear, it should be accepted uh, without any difficulty. They want preaching to always be popular. The Word of God says the preaching will not always be popular. At least the preaching God wants done cannot always be popular. So, you get the idea? Something preaching can't do? Preaching can't always be popular. Here's another thing. Preaching can't reach people who are closed-minded. If people have their mind closed, they are not going to accept the preaching no matter how it's done. might parallel this to politics. And some of us uh, get involved talking politics from time to time. Typically, when we talk politics, we are in agreement. And, and that's a, it's always nice to sort of talk politics to someone who thinks the same way you do. But, unfortunately, we get in a situation from time to time where we're talking politics with someone who's completely different than us. Uh, I mean, they, they are way out there uh, and hold some very peculiar views on political subjects. And when you're talking with them, it, it almost baffles the mind to, to realize that here are people who don't see things like we do at all. And when we try to make a common sense argument about the economy or about national defense or anything like that, about taxes and so forth, when we try to make what seems to be a very common sense argument, they just simply will not listen to it. They, they just have a closed mind. They are not willing to consider anything different than that. Well, we've had that experience in political discussions. Unfortunately, we've also had that experience in religious discussions. And it's, it is equally shocking, but of course even more serious, to see that the things that are so clearly and plainly taught in the Scriptures are just rejected uh, by people who won't even consider what the Bible has to say on a subject. Their mind is completely closed. It's really frustrating. And and no, the preaching, the very best of preaching, can't reach people who have their mind closed in that fashion. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 15, we use this text in our lesson this morning in Bible class, this people's heart is waxed gross, their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. These people, Jesus said, I can't do anything for them. I would like to heal them, but as long as they are completely closed-minded to what I'm trying to say and do here, I can't do anything for them. Jesus said that. And therefore, we need to realize that the same would be the case with our preaching of the message of Jesus. We can't reach people who are unwilling to consider the truths of God's Word.
best preaching. I mean, if you, if you were able to identify the person that you believed is the best preacher you ever heard, and I think all of us have that in mind, you know, you could, over the years, especially those of us who, who've been in the Lord's Church for many years, can think of some preachers we've heard over that period of time, and, and some that we would say, that, that guy, he's the, I think he's the best I ever heard. Well, take that best guy that you remember, I don't care, let him give his very best sermon, the best preacher he ever heard delivering the best sermon he ever came up with, he couldn't reach somebody who was closed-minded. And Jesus couldn't do it either. We need to realize that that's just the way it is. Another point that we would make, something that preaching can't do, preaching can't change those who stop listening when they disagree. Now, this is similar to the previous point, but I'm trying to stress a, something a little bit different here. When I describe some people who stop listening when they disagree with the message, um, we're talking about the kind of people here who seem to be supportive of preaching. Uh, and, and they seem to like it, and they're very positive and so forth, until it hits on a point that is too close to home for them. And when you hit upon a point that's close to them, then they stop listening. Through the years, I've had that experience on several Bible subjects. Usually, they're typically controversial subjects. And some people just stop listening when they disagree on something like marriage, divorce, and remarriage, for instance. That's a hot-button topic. And some people just won't listen. Just as soon as you suggest something different than uh, what they have believed. There's a fella in Texas who frequently listens to our virtual Bible study, or has in the past. He's pretty much stopped listening now. Because he has a peculiar uh, idea on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And he's upset with us because uh, we teach something different than what he believes. That's all he ever wants to talk about. But he stopped listening to us because we don't teach what he believes on that subject. Some people do that. Uh, it, it might be the subject of church discipline. That's a difficult topic. Some people don't want to hear about it. They don't like to see it applied or modesty, or dancing, or smoking, or social drinking, or child rearing. Uh, I mean, you could, you could write probably a list as long as your arm of, of things that people who would typically be supportive of preaching, when you hit that subject, they stop. They close their ears. They won't listen anymore. Notice what happened in the early church. In Acts chapter 7, you remember the episode of Stephen? We often talk about Stephen as the first Christian martyr. Uh, in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen had been teaching them and pointing out their errors, it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. Now, thankfully, we haven't run into that kind of opposition. Nobody has picked up stones and started throwing at us yet. But if you talk about some things that certain people don't want to hear, they will react nearly as violently as that. They will just stop listening when you get to such a point. Now, what we're saying is, therefore, preaching can't change those kind of people. If they stop, if they stop listening, then you can't, you can't be of any assistance to them. Preaching just is limited in that sense. Or how about this? Uh, as we keep working maybe a little closer to ourselves, we could talk about the fact that preaching can't help people who won't make personal application of the message. I know that you're all familiar with the expression, uh, stepping on someone's toes. And that's, that expression is often used concerning a, a, a sermon, for instance. Uh, and I don't know how many times through years I've had someone 
as they're filing out after the services are over, will use that expression. Usually, usually in a lighthearted manner, they'll say something like, boy, preacher, you really stepped on our toes this morning. Well, stepping on our toes, unfortunately, doesn't always change our hearts. And if you don't make application, even of a sermon that steps on your toes, if you don't make the application and change the things that, that need to be changed, uh, that's not going to help. And so preaching won't help if you're not willing to make personal application of the things that are needed in your life. In James chapter 1, beginning at verse 22, James says, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a, uh, unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Here James has, has written a word picture that I think is really interesting and it's easy to grasp. By the way, where, where he says, he talks about a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Oh, they didn't have mirrors as good as ours, but that's what he's talking about there when he says you look at your face in a glass. You look at your face in a reflection. Now, we've got excellent mirrors, much better than they would have had access to in that time. But what he's talking about here is somebody who looks in a mirror, and maybe you see that your hair is all messed up, and you've got a big smudge of dirt here on the side of your face. You look in your mirror, and you see that, but you don't, you don't, you don't address it. You don't slick your hair down. You don't wipe that smudge off. You see it, but you just turn and walk off. And forget what you saw in the mirror. And you don't make any of the corrections that the image in the mirror suggested you should make. Well, James is saying here, that's just folly, right? Why would you even bother to look in the mirror if it was not with the idea that you would correct whatever you could that you saw in the mirror? If you had dirt on your face or your hair was messed up, why are you looking in the mirror if you don't intend to change those things? James says that's what it's like for someone to look into the perfect law of liberty and not change your life to be in compliance with what's taught there. The person who's blessed, he says, is the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. And so... Certainly, James is stressing, and we, and it's, it's, it's not a, a hard concept. We all acknowledge the concept. We need to apply the truth of God's Word. And when we read it on our own, or when we talk about it in a Bible class, or when we hear it preached in a sermon, we've got to be the kind of people who have a tender heart, ready to make application of the things we've heard. And if we're unwilling to make that personal application, then preaching can't help us. Preaching... Anything preached, whether one-on-one uh, -on -one or from the pulpit or any other way, we're simply not going to be helped if we won't make personal application. Finally, a last point, but I think a very important one with a couple of things to consider, has to do with our personal responsibility. Preaching, especially here I have specifically in mind preaching from the pulpit, uh, public preaching or proclamation of the word, the preacher preaching a lesson, that sort of thing can't help you fulfill your personal responsibility in reference to things that you need to be doing. Uh, some people, I think, have the idea that 
you know, that's the way it should be addressed. For instance, that fellow I talked about earlier whose wife wouldn't keep the house neat and wanted to hear a sermon preached so that his wife would get the point that she needed to clean the house. Well, what he ought to have done as her husband and the head of the family was work with her on that problem. It was clearly a family problem. And to try and get the preacher to preach a sermon about it was not the way for him to deal with the issue that he needed to be addressing personally. And so preaching can't fulfill your personal responsibility to do certain things. For instance, it can't help you fulfill your personal responsibility to the lost. Um, Preaching certainly is intended to reach lost people. And someone says, that's why we pay the preacher. We know that the gospel needs to get out there to the lost people in our community. So that's why we've got a preacher. We pay him and we want him out there preaching in the community. Well, I tell you, it is the preacher's job to get the message out in the community. But no matter how good or uh, how, how well he does that job or how poorly he does that job, it doesn't, it doesn't impact your responsibility to do that whatsoever. Uh, whether he's good or bad at sharing the gospel with the lost doesn't diminish your obligation to do that at all. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, the Great Commission. Jesus said, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. We've seen this before, but just to remind you of sort of an ongoing cascade of responsibility that's taught in the Great Commission. Jesus said, go and teach all nations. Who's he talking to there? Specifically, he was talking to his apostles, right? Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But then he said, those who have been taught and baptized, you teach them to do the same things I told you to do. Well, what did he tell them to do? He told them to go and teach. So you go and teach, and then you teach the others to go and teach, and it just keeps unfolding. This responsibility just keeps getting passed down from generation to generation of Christians. It's as much your job to be out preaching the gospel as it was the very first people that Jesus told that to. It is an ongoing responsibility of Christians to be busy sharing the gospel, teaching, bringing lost people into the fold. We have that job. And so we can't expect that the preacher will do what Everyone else is obligated to do. He needs to do his part for sure. But everybody else has responsibility and, and his work doesn't diminish your job. We know, as, as we've seen, we've pointed this out several times recently, this was the practice of those first century Christians. In Acts 8, verse 1, at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Even under an intense persecution, they did not back off from preaching the message. And so, preaching, especially here we're talking about the work of preachers, preaching from the pulpit and so forth, that doesn't fulfill your personal responsibility to reach out to the lost, and neither does it fulfill your responsibility to correct erring brethren. Talking about things that people have requested to have preached from the pulpit. Again, that's, that's a fairly common thing. Different ones of you have said, I'd like to hear a lesson on this or that, and that's good. I appreciate the suggestions. Try to use them as often as I can. But there have been instances where people have come to me and said, I want you to preach about this. And they're talking about a specific situation with an erring brother or sister. You need to preach this from the pulpit. Well, have you gone to talk to that person yet? 
Well, no. Well, that'd be the first step, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be the first responsibility along that line? We remember very well the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 18, beginning verse 15. More if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell the preacher and get him to preach a sermon on that. That's not what it says, is it? If your brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Jesus actually here taught a process. You're part of that process. If you know of an erring brother, it is not, the process to go and ask for a sermon to be preached on that topic. Now, it may be a worthy topic, but in the case of a specific earring brother, you have responsibilities specified here. Go to him. If he won't hear you, take two or three more. If he won't hear you, take it to the church. But the, the preaching of the gospel, the work of the preacher, doesn't fulfill your personal responsibility to be involved in trying to correct those kinds of situations. Well, what we've had to say this morning then is that there's some things that preaching can't do. Preaching is very important. I don't want to end without reemphasizing our very first point. We're not diminishing the importance of the proclamation of the Word of God. It is an essential part of God's plan for men's salvation. But, having said that, we need to understand that preaching has limitations that are clearly described in the Word of God. We need to acknowledge those limitations, not expect it to do what it can't do. Appreciate your good attention to what we've had to say this morning. As we bring the lesson to a close, we're going to sing a song of invitation. We'll just ask you, will you let the gospel, will you let the preaching of the gospel, will you, will you let the message of the Word of God have its power and work in your life? Romans 1 verse 16 says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Will you let that power work? If you're not yet a Christian, you need to become one through hearing the truth and believing it, to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, to be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're ready to obey the gospel, we're ready to assist you. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. Let us know how we can help while we stand and sing this song.